I'm going to tell you why entrepreneurship is a cult, and it's actually way more dangerous than you might think. When you think of a cult, you might conjure some very specific imagery. Groups of people dressed in white, huddled around a charismatic, long-haired leader, glasses of red fruit punch mixed with other things in the background, and a general sense of impending doom as the leader shares their celestial or holy visions with the crowd. This idea of a cult may have been popular in the 70s and 80s, but the modern-day cult is a little bit more sophisticated, often choosing to weave cult-like tendencies into more accepted industries, such as entrepreneurship or self-help. In fact, you may be influenced by cult practices without even realizing it. We first need to look at cults more generally and the practices that cause their followers to behave the way that they do. From Jonestown to Nexium, cults have caused massive irreparable damage to everyone who gets involved with them. So much so that through various podcasts, documentaries, and exposés, they've become a pop culture phenomenon, a kind of dark lens for which to view the world from a slightly different perspective. And inevitably, once the interest in cults hit, we all ask some of these same questions. How did this happen? Why do they fall for it? And why do they follow someone who is so cruel to them? The answers to these questions can be found in the psychology of indoctrination. Indoctrination is defined as the process of teaching a person or group to accept a set of beliefs uncritically. Modern day cult leaders such as self-help gurus, megachurch pastors, and business coaches often use indoctrination techniques in their sales funnels, their sales process, and their community building techniques. In his book, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism, Robert J. Lifton lays out what he believes are the eight criteria for thought reform. Now, we'll go through the full list in a moment, but the third criteria is something called a demand for purity. With a demand for purity, the leader presents the world as being black and white. In this view, you are either on board and with the group, or you're not, and therefore an enemy. This approach simplifies the complexity of life into two groups, the in-group and the out-group, and creates an us-versus-them mentality. And often, this in-group, out-group mentality is further reinforced by making members jump through particular hoops in order to join. The idea being that if you're not willing to work for it, if you're not willing to put in the time, then you don't deserve to be in the in-group. And this is an important part of the process, because by making someone work for access to the group, they're more likely to identify strongly with the group once they've been given access because they hold that access more dearly because they worked for it. And once someone identifies with the in-group, they can then be taught to despise the out-group, thus making it less likely that they'll connect with people outside of the group and get the potential help that they need to get out of the group. Now, as I said earlier, you may have already experienced this. Leaders in industries like entrepreneurship and self-help tend to utilize these techniques to some degree in their sales process and their community building tactics. And let's look at entrepreneurship as one example. In entrepreneurship, those who quit their jobs or drop out of school to become entrepreneurs are the in-group. Their cost of entry is taking the risk to go their own way, to start something for themselves. 
And sure, you might be able to claim you're an entrepreneur if you start something on the side, but for many, there is a purity test. If you are unwilling to overcome the hurdle of quitting your job, then you cannot be seen as an entrepreneur by the rest of the group. This artificial hurdle makes it so that those who have taken that leap identify more deeply as entrepreneurs, while those who haven't, can't, or are unwilling to do not identify as entrepreneurs. Then, by using language within the group, such as escaping the rat race or referring to it as a J-O-B, which stands for just over broke, you further separate those in the group from those who have not yet joined. Being an employee becomes a personal failure for those in the group. And so the idea that their business might fail and they may need to go get a job is unthinkable. They would much rather dig themselves into debt and pay money that they do not have in order to maintain the facade of being an entrepreneur rather than get a job and continue to build their project on the side. And for those who are currently employees, those who hear the message start to believe that being an employee is somehow negative. And so they're willing to do anything in order to join the group to get over that hurdle, even if that means spending their last dollar on forces or coaching programs, a very real thing that I've seen many people do. Now, something that is important here is that by this definition of indoctrination, it doesn't actually matter what specific ideas you're getting someone to accept. The important thing is that they accept it uncritically. Through this process, Individuals have their reasoning and critical thinking skills broken down systematically while simultaneously being disconnected from external communities and groups that could support them and bring them back. Over time, they become more and more reliant on the in-group, the community that they're a part of. And then if they face being excommunicated or removed from that group, they become desperate to do whatever is necessary to stay in the community. But to better understand how this shows up in our day-to-day lives and more specifically how this relates back to the current state of entrepreneurship as an industry let's take a look at robert j lifton's eight criteria for effective thought reform the first is what's called milieu control now milieu is defined as a person's social environment or context this is the first criteria of thought reform and in my opinion is actually the most important in order to further control the target in both more traditional cults and the modern day cult-like industry controlling the social environment is done in a number of ways but one of the most effective and most common is to present you with an idea that is easy to accept and then slowly increase the extremity of that idea until you fully buy in and have been cut off from those who could pull you out. Through this process, you make it easier to get buy-in for more and more extreme ideas. You are essentially walking them up the ladder of extreme thought while simultaneously filtering out the people who may have bought in at an earlier step but weren't interested in continuing further. You remove those people by making the ideas just slightly more extreme while identifying and keeping the people who are more likely to believe those future extreme ideas. You also then, through some of the further steps, make it harder and harder for those who buy in to connect with and believe 
the things that uh, people outside of the group might say to them. For example, in the Q cult, if you sincerely believe that Democrats are responsible for abducting and eating children, it's going to be very difficult for you to connect with anyone who identifies as a Democrat. And similarly, in entrepreneurship, though to a much lesser extreme, if you sincerely believe that being an employee and not pursuing the path of entrepreneurship is a sign of being weak or not taking control of your life, or potentially even seeing it as being negative and toxic, then you're going to have a much harder time connecting with anyone who is not already an entrepreneur. Now, the second criteria is what's called mystical manipulation. This is the process of fabricating events and presenting them as spontaneous. So you may have seen this in megachurch broadcasts where they'll bring somebody up on stage who is in a wheelchair. They will pretend that this person is unable to walk. They'll do some kind of magic voodoo thing and then all of a sudden the person can walk now this is a common practice in cults this is a common practice at mega churches and it's starting to become a common practice in self-help and entrepreneurship seminars as well now in traditional cult indoctrination the purpose of this is to prove that the leader has some kind of direct connection to the spiritual the cosmic or the holy whatever their angle is by being able to predict an event and make it happen instantaneously or at some particular date and do so in a way that feels spontaneous and random to those who are looking, they can then say, well, they got that information from their direct connection. So if you want to benefit from this direct connection, you need to follow me. That's the traditional approach that cults have been using for decades. Now, while that isn't done as directly in modern day cult-like industries, to fill the gap, they've actually pulled from some more spiritual parts of the spectrum. For example, the law of attraction is something that's becoming incredibly popular in the entrepreneurship and self-help communities. Now, if you're not familiar, the law of attraction is described as, quote, a philosophy suggesting that positive thoughts bring positive results into a person's life, while negative thoughts bring negative results. Now, when the law of attraction was first presented, the idea was treated as this mystical, magical knowledge that all of the great people throughout history have known. And they presented this in the book and film The Secret, which is essentially what allowed it to spread as quickly as it had. Through this philosophy, anything that is good that happens to you can be traced back to the positive energy that you're putting out into the world. Anything negative that happens to you can be traced back to the negative energy that you're putting out into the world. This is a convenient way to create a similar mystical manipulation cult-like environment within non-cult situations. Because if you come to these seminars or these coaching relationships with any kind of negative energy, they can say, well, the law of attraction states that you're only going to attract negative to you if you do that. So you need to shift to a much more positive state in order for this to actually work for you. 
And the beauty of the law of attraction as the tool for mystical manipulation is that it's not just reserved for the cult leader. This is something they can say that they will teach you how to do. You can pay them thousands of dollars in order to learn how to manifest for yourself. And then eventually you can become the cult leader. So there is this other layer built into the industry of this that allows us to believe not just that this person we're following has some direct insight that we don't have, but that if we pay them enough, we can gain that insight ourselves and become that person. Now, the third criteria is a demand for purity. Now, we've already talked about this one. This is the idea that you are either in the group or you are not. Now, we see this play out in the world of entrepreneurship in a very direct way. There is a recurring idea that if those around you are negative and bringing negative energy to your world, you need to remove them and replace them with more positive people. And maybe those people happen to be entrepreneurs as well. So there's this built-in framework for why you should get rid of non-entrepreneurs and replace them with entrepreneurs in your day-to-day -day life, in your social environment. In this way, they make it easier and easier to reinforce the same ideas that they're teaching you. They make it easier to avoid you running into any external knowledge or understanding that might cause you to not pay for the next level of the course or not join the next coaching program. Now, the fourth criteria is what's called confession. And this is done very heavily in much more traditional religious and cult-based organizations, with the idea being that by confessing to your sins, you are giving yourself freedom from them. Now, confession in and of itself is not a bad thing. This is a similar idea that therapy is based on. It's recognizing what's going wrong, talking about it, and being able to come to terms with it. That's not inherently bad. And in many cases with religious organizations, it is not inherently bad. The problem is what is then done with those sins once you've confessed. Because in cult situations, what typically happens is you confess to your sins, the cult leader or whomever is handling that conversation will keep note of all of the things you have divulged, and those things will be weaponized against you in the future. If you try to leave, that information is either used directly against you as blackmail or used to break down the confidence you might have been able to gain in order to walk away. Now, this same thing happens in entrepreneurship and self-help groups where you go into these conversations and these organizations sharing what happened in the last week, what you did in the last week. Now, some of those weeks, you're not going to be as productive as you should have been. Some of those weeks, you're going to struggle to pay attention. All of that information eventually will be used against you in very subtle ways. And so whenever you bring up fears or doubts or concerns about the next program or the next payment or whatever it might be, that question of why are you self-sabotaging can always be used against you. And those specific examples of, hey, last week you said you didn't actually work that hard. Last week you said you weren't actually that productive. Why are you self-sabotaging? This is the right path forward and you just need to allow yourself to take that step. They can use that logic against you because they have access to the sins that you have confessed to. The fifth criteria is called sacred science. The idea being that the teachings of the group are the answer, the only answer. 
There are no other answers. And if you aren't successful after learning the teachings, it's because you didn't want it bad enough. It's because you weren't working hard enough or it's because you didn't believe it enough. This is commonly done in virtually every real cult that has developed over the last hundred years and also in industries like entrepreneurship and self-help where the idea is if you are not getting the results you want, there is something deficient in you or something deficient in your sense of belief that is causing that. And coincidentally, if you pay us another $5,000, we can help you to fix those things. The sixth criteria is what's called loading the language. Now, I want to be honest here. This cannot be used as direct proof that entrepreneurship is a cult. Jargon is used in every industry that is out there. Every group has some kind of in-language that allows them to identify one another, allows them to communicate more effectively with one another. And similarly, entrepreneurship has those same things. Now, they do have some extreme versions of this where they redefine certain things or create new language in order to identify those who are in the group. For example, the earlier used example of J-O-B, a job, being just over broke. There are a number of these kinds of acronyms, but the pure fact that they have jargon does not make them a cult. However, this is one of the criteria for effectively controlling a target. The seventh criteria is called doctrine over person. Now, the idea here is that the doctrine is law. Any personal experiences that go against the doctrine need to be reinterpreted, reorganized, or completely ignored because it goes against doctrine. We believe that entrepreneurship is the best path to creating wealth. We believe that entrepreneurs are the value makers for society. We believe that entrepreneurs allow jobs to exist. Any experiences you have that go against that are simply untrue. Now, if you try to manifest, if you try to utilize the law of attraction and it works and you get something that you wanted to attract into your life, you are then elevated and you are celebrated and shown as proof that this works. If you try it as many, many thousands do and nothing comes from it, then you are ignored or more likely you are to blame. It didn't work because you didn't believe it enough because your energy was too negative. If it dis doesn't work, it's your fault. If it does work, the doctrine is to play. And the last criteria is a dispensing of existence. Now, dispensing of existence is a little bit hard to explain, so I'm going to quote directly. Quote, the group has the prerogative to decide who has the right to exist and who does not. This is usually not literal, but means that those in the outside world are not saved, unenlightened, or unconscious, and must be converted to the group's ideology. If they do not join the group or are critical of the group, then they must be rejected by the members. Thus, the outside world loses all credibility. In conjunction, should any member leave the group, he or she must be rejected also. Now, this is another process that falls under the category of milieu control. 
by separating those in the group from those outside of the group and deciding who is allowed to exist in this way, you create a barrier between those inside and outside. If those in the group try to recruit the people that they love and hold dearly and they are not interested or they are critical, then it is seen as a rejection of the group and its doctrine and therefore those external people must be excommunicated. This occurs in the world of entrepreneurship quite frequently in small ways. For example, by demonizing the employee and the role of employees in society, you create a wall between those who choose entrepreneurship and those who choose to be employees. But this goes even further. In the entrepreneurship community, the idea of getting a college degree has started to become less and less valuable because after all, you don't actually need a college degree to be a successful entrepreneur by any metric of how you define successful. Within the community, they've started to say that getting a college degree is actually a bad thing. So those who choose to be employees or those who choose to get college degrees are not in the group. They do not believe the doctrine and therefore they should be ignored or rejected. Now you may try to save them. You may try to reach out to them and connect with them and show them the value of the entrepreneurial doctrine. But until the moment that they join the group, they do not exist. Now, as we wrap up, I want to make sure I clearly state that I'm in no way saying that entrepreneurship is bad. I'm an entrepreneur myself. The point here is to recognize that as an industry, we are starting to use some of the same techniques and language that cults use in order to encourage their followers to do dangerous things things. And we're having some of the same outcomes within entrepreneurship as well. How many stories have you heard of people digging themselves deeper and deeper into debt because they are so against the idea of ever holding a job and being an employee again? How many people have you heard of who chose not to go to college to pursue some business idea? It completely failed and now they find themselves stuck in a cycle of poverty. We are creating an environment where people choose to harm themselves, choose to keep themselves down in order to maintain the identity of some made up group while simultaneously being told that if they just buy this course, if they just read this book, if they just purchase this coaching, it doesn't matter if it's your last few dollars. This is an investment in you. If you just do that and stop holding yourself back, then finally the gates will be unlocked to you. That is an very dangerous environment that we're creating and ultimately it's going to create really negative results. But that's just my opinion. What do you think? I'd love to hear your feedback. Leave a comment down below if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're listening to this episode, join us over on YouTube. Click the link in the description of this episode and leave a comment while you're there. Before you go, be sure to click subscribe, like the video, share it with one person who you think would get value from it. And as always, I've been Greg Clunas. And remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day.